Hello, and welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2 Tech, the new hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Adrian Bloom, Editor-in-Chief of H2 Tech and your host for H2 Tech Talk. And this week, we'll be talking with Janice Lynn, founder and president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition. And I'd like to note that Green Hydrogen Coalition is not only a supporting organization for our H2 Tech Solutions virtual conference on May 18th and 19th, but they will also be speaking at the event. So we're very excited to have GHC on board. And if you're interested in more details on that event, please visit www.h2-techsolutions.com. So before we get started with the discussion, I'd like to remind you to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast for more expert discussions on trends and technology in the hydrogen sector. It's easy to do, just click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Blueberry. So now getting into our discussion with Janice. So Janice, you founded the Green Hydrogen Coalition in 2019. Uh, it's the only nonprofit um, that is dedicated to deploying green hydrogen at scale for multi-sectoral decarbonization. And I think you're headquartered in California. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the, or how the organization is structured and what work you're involved in? Sure, thank you, Adrian. And it's great to be chatting with you today. The GHC is an educational nonprofit, so it's a 501c3, and as you said, we're unique in that we are focused on accelerating the green hydrogen economy, and we believe this is possible. Um, it's just a question of how do we rapidly scale large projects, and our role as a nonprofit in facilitating this future vision is structured in three key initiatives. The first First is uh, heavily oriented towards education and stakeholder alignment for the purpose of establishing the right legal and regulatory framework so very large projects can thrive. And uh, initially we started working on a large power plant conversion, a coal plant to hydrogen, green hydrogen project conversion in central Utah. And because the off-takers of that power plan are for the most part located in California, this foundational regulatory, legal and regulatory and educational work to date has been highly concentrated on California. Our hope is that um, our work here will be extensible and reusable in other parts of the country. Uh, and we realize that for the green hydrogen economy to flourish, it's not just a single state solution. We need regional solutions, and that's why the GHC launched its second key initiative last fall, which is called the Western Green Hydrogen Initiative. Uh, we call it WIGI for short, and uh, WIGI is a collaboration between the GHC and the National Association of State Energy Officials, NASIO, and the Western Interstate Energy Board. And its sole purpose is to facilitate regional collaboration to accelerate green hydrogen project and infrastructure development at scale, as well as to help and assist with regional electric system reliability. Then our final initiative area is around commercialization. Uh, we believe that uh, through the intentional process of spooling up and aggregating uh, large green hydrogen off-takers in strategically targeted locations, we'll be able to, in stepwise fashion, grow 
um, the ecosystem, <clears throat> excuse me, for green hydrogen in these targeted areas. And we're calling that final area of work, our commercialization platform, Hydeal North America. So it's a platform for rapidly scaling the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Wow, all right. So you've got a lot of, a lot of things in play. So I, I wanna go um, quickly to the, the Intermountain Power Project um, in Utah, which you alluded to uh, when you, you know, first started talking about the initiatives you're involved in. So that's gonna convert, I, I believe it's Utah's largest coal-fired power plant to 100% green hydrogen fuel by 2045. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about how this project is going to be carried out, um, some of the specifics and, and what steps need to be taken to convert the plant all the way to 100% hydrogen fuel, because I assume that's gonna take place in stages. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think my headline news report is on Monday, April 19th, uh, Mayor Garcetti, who is the mayor of LA, announced that Los Angeles is accelerating its zero carbon target from 2045 to 2035. Now you may ask, why is LA relevant for a power plant in central Utah? Mm. <laughs> the reason is that uh, Los Angeles is the largest off-taker of Intermountain Power Project. Mm -hmm. So I think its goal was just accelerated by 10 years. Uh, a lot needs to happen to realize this vision. I'm happy to report that this, <laughs> the stakeholders who are involved, uh, is uh, they are very, very serious about carrying this through. And uh, in fact, uh, there was an RFP issued last year for the hydrogen procurement. I believe they're just now entering stage two. Um, but generally taking a step back, um, the conversion of this, it's a very large coal plant today, uh, 1800 megawatts. The contract has already been awarded to Mitsubishi for the hydrogen gas turbine, which is being installed by the summer of 2025. Upon commissioning, this gas turbine will combust a blend of 70% natural gas, 30% green hydrogen. And it's this uh, intent of the power plant that the green hydrogen be made electrolytically from wind and mm -hmm. solar. Over time, that 30% will be increased to 100% on or before 2035 now. So, um, that represents a lot of hydrogen because this is an 840 megawatt combined cycle gas turbine. And uh, I think when it is operating at 100% hydrogen combustion, it'll require 277 million kilograms of hydrogen per year. Wow, okay. Interesting, okay. So um, the Intermountain Power Project is also going to make use of a large salt cavern storage for hydrogen, correct? Um, yes. So can you explain a little bit more about how, how does that storage process work? Um, how, do, how will that aid the power plant? And, and also how can um, hydrogen storage like this support other sectors that can benefit from this? Yeah, this is a great, another great question. Okay. so. Um, I'll get back to Intermountain Power Project, but one thing I, I, I wanna call out is um, hydrogen's already a very mature globally traded commodity industry. 
um, on the order of about 100 million metric tons. Most of it is uh, produced from fossil fuels. In fact, if you looked at the GHG emissions, uh, just from the production of hydrogen today and treated it as if it were a country, the production of hydrogen emits more greenhouse gases than Germany, to give you a perspective for how large this industry is. Today, we have pipelines that transport hydrogen over hundreds of miles. Um, in fact, the US has the largest such pipeline about 1600 miles long in the Gulf Coast. We also have several salt caverns that are commercially proven for storing hydrogen in bulk form underground. It's the lowest cost way of storing hydrogen. Of course, there's other ways to store hydrogen above ground in liquefied form, under pressure and gaseous form and all types of containers. You can move it on road for road transport, but the uh, salt caverns are really the lowest cost way to store it underground. How salt caverns are made is you need to start with a salt dome formation <laughs> and you can create these caverns. Um, uh, the image that I think about is you basically pump water underground, you melt the salt, pump out the brine, you have this beautiful cavern that's left. What's great about Intermountain Power Project is this lucky power plant happens to sit on the largest salt dome formation in the Western United States. I mean, literally it's sitting right on top of it. That is lucky. So it's a, yeah, I know. It's very convenient. And when you yeah. think about how power plant operates, um, you know, there's going to be times of the year where it'll be producing more energy, times it'll producing be producing less. So having this bulk storage facility uh, literally across the street is um, just, you know, it's fabulous. It can help it handle those seasonal fluctuations. And especially um, the, this underground storage enables the power plant to use abundant low cost wind and solar that may not be produ producing energy exactly when the power plant needs the hydrogen. So you have this nice buffer. It's just the same reason why we store oil and natural gas and all these other products to this day and propane, same idea. Mm -hmm. um, so what will happen initially is the salt cavern will store the hydrogen, that hydrogen can be blended as a blend with natural gas. And then over time, as more and more hydrogen becomes available, we can increase that percentage to 100%. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, you know, picking up on something you just mentioned, so blending hydrogen into natural gas. So um, there's a lot of different trial projects that are studying uh, hydrogen blends in natural gas networks of, you know, anywhere from five to 15, even up to 20% um, throughout Europe, the US, Australia, um, and other regions all looking at this uh, to support decarbonization efforts um, and greener methane. So, um, I know with higher hydrogen blends, um, that is going to require adjustment or replacement of equipment. Um, it also poses, you know, various safety risks. Um, can you share any insight on how um, using hydrogen methane blends or transitioning from, um, you know, methane to pure hydrogen using existing natural gas infrastructure could be accomplished safely and cost eff effectively? Um, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is true. There are studies happening all over the world, but I want to separate. So we're just talking about Intermountain Power Project. Um, there's, there's blending and injection into existing gas pipelines 
And then there's the use of blends in a hydrogen, in a combustion turbine. Mm-hmm. And uh, one interesting fact that uh, I did not know until I started working on hydrogen is that most gas turbines that are deployed today, and these are gas turbines that are used to generate electricity, can all accommodate some amount of hydrogen already without changing anything, anywhere from five, say, to 30%. Once you hit 30%, there are certain modifications that need to happen to the combustor primarily. So again, I'm just focused on the power plant for this Mm -hmm. application. Uh, And those modifications are commercially available today. And um, that is the equipment that's getting installed in Intermountain Power Project. So, uh, and, and there are certain other modifications that are required, you know, larger valves, a little more space. And so uh, new turbines like the one being installed in Intermountain Power Project are being installed to be 100% hydrogen ready. Mm-hmm. So as the percentage increases, there can be very easy um, change outs over time to accommodate the higher percentage. Now I wanna switch from that, which is a great, great news. I mean, technically the takeaway is any gas turbine in this country technically could be combusting a little bit of hydrogen right now. Imagine the decarbonization potential and fuel diversity potential right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we need to store the hydrogen somewhere. And we had talked about salt caverns as commercially viable. It's being done today, it's been done for decades. And the good news is this country, the United States is blessed with salt caverns. We have lots of them in Texas and the Gulf area. There's some on the east east coast. Um, and then we have this very large salt dome formation in central Utah. And it's not just, it's a giant dome. One cavern can hold 150,000 megawatt hours worth of storage and they can build mm. like a hundred caverns. So this is a really large resource. The pipelines. Earlier, I mentioned that we have been commercially using 100% hydrogen pipelines for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So that's known. There's safety regime. Um, there are 1,600 miles of that type of pipeline in the Gulf Coast, including, I don't know, something like 20 miles of pipeline in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The question that you mentioned of injection and this range of anywhere from 5 to 20% injection into existing gas networks, that's what's being studied around the world. I was just on the phone with someone in Canada, Mm -hmm. and they're about to undertake a trial there. Um, Our utilities here in California are looking at trials. Hey, you know, to the extent that we can, and according to the Department of Energy, I read somewhere they said that, you know, about 15% Mm -hmm. theoretically should be achievable without too many modifications, and they have an initiative called HyBlend, Right, where they're yeah. specifically studying this with national labs and they're looking at material science. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is we have this amazing pipeline network already in place in this country. And if we can repurpose that network with minimal modifications, I mean, it's like, wow, we have this amazing storage facility and transport capability. Some jurisdictions like in Europe and the European Commission, they have a goal to completely phase out natural gas. So they have a vision to transform their hydrogen, their hydrogen, um, I'm sorry, their natural gas backbone, their gas transmission network to Mm -hmm. hydrogen by 2050. And so they're a little further along in thinking through how they will do that. Um, 
And in, in chatting with the uh, head of the, the lead coordinator for the hydrogen backbone effort in Europe, their plan, he says, is, uh, well, one, one finding for the study, they just commissioned a study, I think it came out last year, that said repurposing the existing gas pipelines is, is actually a lot more cost-effective than originally thought. And, um, you know, at least preliminarily, they're thinking that's going to be cheaper than building new pipelines. So you can do a little blending, but ultimately, um, once you start diverting off-takers from gas to hydrogen, you're going to have gas pipeline, natural gas pipeline infrastructure that now needs to find another use. Mm -hmm. So they have a smart plan for how to repurpose. In certain locations, you may not be able to fully repurpose because who, you know, there are off-takers that just for industrial process reasons must have natural gas if it's used as a um, uh, a feedstock. It's, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, just for heat energy, but it's a feedstock. Um, then you may need to build some new hydrogen pipelines, and those new pipelines could leverage existing right-of-ways for existing gas pipelines. Mm -hmm. So here in, in North America, I'd say we're at the front end of thinking through how that can be done. Um, this will definitely be a key focus area of our commercialization initiative in specific locations because the cost-effective um, repurposing, transitioning, and or building of new infrastructure is a big part of the cost equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the NREL's high blend um, research project, because I think, you know, the results of that are going to be really important because, you know, it's looking at um, the long-term, you know, of effects of higher blends of hydrogen and um, natural gas. And so that'll be interesting to see what the results of, of that uh, turn out. And, and, you know, also you mentioned the European hydrogen backbone, and, and that's going to be really interesting to see as well. And especially, you know, just it, over the past year, there's been um, that project has blown up as far as uh, uh, how expansive, um, you know, the, the vision for it is, um, you know, I think it's almost 40,000 kilometers of pipeline um, that is now um, going to be built or uh, not built, but um, dedicated to it. And with 69% of that being re uh, converted natural gas um, infrastructure. And so that's two thirds, you know, that's going to be um, two thirds, uh, uh, it's going to be repurposed. And then, you know, a third is going to be uh, new build pipeline. So that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to, to see for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to jump in and say, we need all of the above. Mm -hmm. We need to look at blending and injection, we need to look at repurposing, and we need to look at potentially the feasibility of building new hydrogen pipelines to connect large production centers and offtakes. And the reason the uh, injection, even if it's a modest amount, like 5%, is going to be a game changer is because right now, um, we don't really optimize so much between gas and electric infrastructure. Um, with, a, with an injection target, we could immediately optimize electric infrastructure. So anywhere you have an electric inter interconnection mm -hmm. and appropriate rate design to encourage the use of renewable electricity from the electric sector, maybe you have you know, local solar that otherwise would be curtailed. We should be using the electric system to move that solar to an electrolysis point and then immediately injecting it into the gas system to decarbonize it 
and leverage this amazing storage resource <laughs> we have called mm-hmm. the pipeline network. So that's why a small, even a small injection target will help us scale up and advance commercialization of electrolysis quite significantly. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings me to um, the last question I have for you. And that was uh, another thing that you s- spoke uh, to in, in your introduction of um, the GHC was the Western Green Hydrogen Initiative or the the, the WIGI, I think, as you <laughs> referred to it. Um, so with that initiative, um, so I wanted to know a little bit more about how that's going to work to scale green hydrogen to achieve uh, you know, environmental and economic and energy benefits on a regional scale. Um, and then also tagging on to that, just in general, where do you see other regions of the United States or North America being, uh, you know, good, um, you know, uh, good places that you think will do where green hydrogen um, networks or projects could develop? Okay, so yes, I had mentioned that WIGI is our platform that's enabling state and provincial level collaboration mm-hmm. on infrastructure development. And you know, when we think about the potential and the scale and scope of what green hydrogen can do in terms of decarbonizing multiple sectors. So for a lot of this conversation, we've been talking about the power sector and how green hydrogen can serve as this bulk storage resource enable reliability by being an alternative fuel, stored fuel, that zero carbon stored fuel that can be dispatched through existing gas turbine infrastructure. Well, remember that um, the power sector is just one application. There's transportation, there's steel making, cement, industrial heat applications, um, there's road transport, even aviation and shipping is another huge, mm-hmm. amazing, a scalable application. Um, I'm talking about maritime shipping and even someday long haul uh, uh, air transport. Those are all applications that can be decarbonized with green hydrogen. And, uh, and someday, actually the final one, uh, we think of this as the, um, the ultimate goal for the United States and, and North America is to be exporting very low cost green hydrogen to places in the uh, Pacific Rim, uh, maybe Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no reason we can't be doing that because we have the factor inputs to be producing this green hydrogen at scale for very low cost, multiple pathways. We've talked a lot about electrolytic, but by the way, you can make (laughs) green hydrogen from organic pathways too by gasifying waste, Mm -hmm. reformation of biogas, So we're just blessed in all these factor inputs. However, to move that hydrogen around requires infrastructure because what counts is the low delivered cost. And anytime you're talking about infrastructure, especially transportation and storage, that by definition is a regional solution. Um, And it's for this reason that we created the Western Green Hydrogen Initiative and this is a state-led initiative. I um, uh, it, and it's uh, amazing to see the collection of states. So uh, it's the eleven Western states that participate in the Western Interstate Energy Board, two Canadian provinces, 
um, Alberta and British Columbia, plus Florida, Ohio, and Louisiana. So it's 14 states. And, you know, this collection of states is about as diverse as they come. I mean, every state has different goals, different objectives, yet there's one thing they all share in common is they see mutual benefit. They see a bright future with respect to green hydrogen. They see many uses, not only bulk energy storage and reliability, but also the potential to use it as an alternative transportation fuel for road, rail, air. <laughs> it's um, an alternative fuel for mining operations, like many, many applications. So there's really uh, a commonly held view there. And then all states and provinces understand that the pathway to greater future prosperity using green hydrogen is to collaborate on the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that's why the work of WIGI is so important And, um, uh, you know, imagine a world where we can leverage really low cost wind power from Montana and Idaho Mm -hmm. to produce green hydrogen, maybe bring it by pipeline and store it in hundreds of salt caverns in central Utah for the entire region to use, not only for electric reliability, but for on-road transport as an alternative to fossil fuels for multiple industrial applications. And imagine if there was a pipeline right to the ports of Oakland, to the port of LA, uh, to export this really low cost green hydrogen to um, energy poor, but energy hungry nations internationally. That's the goal that we're shooting for. Wow, okay, that sounds like a, a fantastic initiative within uh, many of the different uh, projects that that you're working on at GHC. So I appreciate um, appreciate that information and and thank you for sharing your insights with our H2 Tech audience. This was a fascinating interview, Janice, and we appreciate you being our guest. Thank and, you. Yeah, and um, uh, to the audience, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts or Blueberry, and uh, we will see you again next week.